Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. The Pilgrims were reform-minded Protestant Puritans who sought to purify the Church of England of Roman Catholic practices. Who were these Pilgrims, and why did they cross the Atlantic Ocean to come to America, starting in 1620? Were they really escaping religious persecution to establish a new life in North America? Pastor Lance Rolston of the History of the Christian Church podcast has graciously agreed to share with us his unique views on this remarkable period in history. Although it would surely have grieved him had he lived to see it, Martin Luther's legacy in the years after his death was a century of war. This war didn't only pit Catholics against Protestants. Various factions among the Protestants warred with each other. If the Reformers had hoped to purify the Church of both theological error and political corruption, they may have succeeded in the first endeavor but failed miserably in the second. Those who want to use religion for personal ends really don't care what face the mask wears just so long as it gets the job done. Some of the more devastating wars included the French Wars of Religion, the Dutch Revolt against Philip II of Spain, the attempted invasion of Spain by the English Armada, the Thirty Years' War in Germany, and the Puritan Revolution in England. The 17th century was a time of theological and political entrenchment. European Christendom was now divided into four groups, Roman Catholic, Lutheran, Reformed, and the Anabaptists. The first three became officially associated with regions and their governments, while Anabaptists sought to live out their faith independently of entanglements with civil authority. During the 17th century, the Catholics, Lutherans, and Reformed developed impenetrable confessional bulwarks against one another. Catholic Orthodoxy achieved its definitive shape with the Council of Trent in the mid-16th century. The Jesuits played a major role at Trent, especially in answering the challenge presented by Luther's views on justification and grace. The Council affirmed the importance of the sacraments and the Roman Church's theological position on the Eucharist. At Trent, the Jesuits affirmed the importance of Thomism, that is, the work of Thomas Aquinas in setting their doctrine. The triumph of Thomism at Trent set the future trajectory for Catholic theology. While Protestant orthodoxy is concerned with correct theological content, Protestant scholasticism had more to do with their methodology. From the mid-16th through 17th centuries, Protestant orthodoxy clarified, codified, and defended the work of the early reformers. Then, after the careers of the next generation of reformers, it's convenient to identify three phases of orthodoxy. Early orthodoxy runs from the mid-16th through mid-17th century. It was a time when Lutheran and Reform groups developed their confessions. High Orthodoxy goes from the mid to the late 17th century. This was a time of conflict when the confessions that were hammered out earlier were used as a litmus test of faith and formed battle lines to fight over. Late Orthodoxy covers the 18th century, when the people of Europe began to ask why, if Protestant confessions were true, rather than leading to the peace that the Gospel promised, they instead led to war, death, and widespread misery. In truth, people had been asking that question for a lot longer than that, ever since the church and state became pals back in the 4th century. 
But it wasn't until the 18th that they felt the freedom to voice their concerns publicly without the certainty they'd be set on by the authorities. As Protestants and Catholics identified their differing theological positions, they became increasingly mindful of their methodology in refining their confessions. Each appealed to the intellectual high ground, claiming a superior method for defining terms and reasoning. This was the age when there was a return by Christian theologians to Aristotelian logic. Once the Council of Trent concluded, and the Roman Church fixed its position, the opportunity for theological dialogue between Protestants and Catholics came to a firm end. After that, it was simply up to the various major groups to fine-tune their confessions, and then fire salvos at any and everyone who differed. It was the era of polemics, of diatribes and discourses disparaging those that dared to disagree. Sadly, after Luther's death, the movement that bore his name fell into disarray and infighting. Lutherans broke into two main camps, those who claimed to stay strictly loyal to Martin and those who followed his chief assistant, Philip Melanchthon. They remained at something of a theological stalemate until the Formula of Concord in 1577, the definitive statement of Lutheran orthodoxy. Much of the destruction of the Thirty Years' War took place on German soil. Agriculture collapsed, famine spread, and universities closed. By the end of the war, there were at least 8 million fewer people in Germany. The Peace of Westphalia made room for Catholics, Lutherans, and Calvinists, depending on the religious leanings of the ruler. Weary of bloodshed, the three communions withdrew behind polemic firewalls. Instead of firing cannonballs at each other, they lobbed theological word bombs. Doctors endorse it, nutritionists recommend it, and customers love it. Calotrin Healthy Weight Loss. Ron in Texas lost 35 pounds. Marie in Pennsylvania lost 117 pounds with Calotrin. Diane not only lost weight, but she also found relief from arthritis. Lynn lost over 45 pounds. Calotrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body, which decreases as we age. Taking Calotrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calotrin has an amazing 86% success rate with their 90-day supply, and this week, take advantage of their President's Day sale. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free plus free shipping. Ordering is so easy. Just text the word HISTORY to the code 30605 and we'll send you a link to this special offer. Again, text HISTORY, that's H-I-S-T-O-R-Y, using the code 30605. Queen Elizabeth of England left no heir when she died in 1603, but she'd made arrangements for the succession to pass to James, the son of Mary Stuart, already serving as the King of Scotland. The transition was fairly smooth, bringing the House of Stuart to reign over England. James VI of Scotland became James I of England. He didn't find ruling his expanded realm an easy matter. The English regarded him a foreigner. His plan to unite both kingdoms earned him determined opponents on both sides. Elizabeth's reforms of England's economic policies were now bearing fruit, especially among the growing merchant class who resented James's royalist policies favoring the nobility. But James's greatest troubles were with reformers who wanted to see the English church purged of all Romanish influences. They regarded James as standing in the way of that. His native Scotland had moved further along the Reformation road under the work of John Knox. English Calvinists felt the time was ripe for similar changes in their land. 
These reformers didn't comprise a single group, nor did they agree on all matters, so it's difficult describing them in general terms. One of the most influential groups was given the name Puritans because they insisted on the need to purify the church. They opposed many of the traditional aspects of worship the Church of England retained, things like the use of the cross as a symbol, priestly garments, and the celebration of communion on an altar. They differed over whether there even ought to be an altar. Wasn't a simple table good enough? And if a table, should it be placed so as not to give anyone the idea that it was an altar? Things like this led to bitter disputes. They may have left behind the scholastic argument of how many angels can dance on the head of a pin, but they argued now over less inconsequential issues, as how much lace ought to be in their collars. Puritans insisted on the need for a sober life, guided by the commands of Scripture and abstinence from luxury and ostentatious displays of wealth. Since a great deal of the worship of the Church of England appeared to them as needlessly elaborate, this caused further objection to such worship. Many insisted on the need to keep the Lord's Day sacred, devoting it exclusively to religious exercises and charity. They also rejected the Anglican Book of Common Prayer and the use of written prayers in general, declaring that such led to insincerity so that even the Lord's Prayer, rather than a set of words to be repeated, was only to be used as a model for prayer. They weren't opposed to the use of alcohol, for most of them drank moderately, but they were quite critical of any kind of drunkenness. They were also critical of all they considered licentious, things like the theater, because immorality was often depicted, and because of the inherent duplicity that was required in acting. They considered it a kind of lying, because someone pretended to be someone else. This tone of supercritical Puritanism would much later move H. L. Mencken to describe Puritanism as, quote, the haunting fear that someone, somewhere, may be having a good time, unquote. A precise definition of Puritanism has been a matter of much debate, due in part to its multifaceted influence in not only religious and theological matters, but in its impact on England's politics and society. Some of the difficulty in defining Puritanism comes from its caricatures that began in the 16th century. As with so many of the labels that have been attributed to movements in the church, the word Puritan was originally a slam applied by its critics. They considered Puritans to be peevish, censorious, conceited hypocrites. That reputation, once applied, stuck to them all the way to our own time. In truth, there was a surprising diversity among Puritans. They shared a common theological confession while differing on how the church ought to be organized. Some Puritans thought the existing Anglican hierarchy of bishops was fine, while others wanted to restructure the church along more Presbyterian lines. Still others embraced a congregational form of church government. Some advocated separation from the established church, while others wanted to remain. Some were royalist, others revolutionary, even to the point of regicide. While Puritans differed in worship styles and the expressions of their piety, they all wanted the English church to more closely resemble the Reformed churches on the continent. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ. Check out the YouTube version of this episode, which has accompanying images. Did you know that word of mouth is the best way to grow a podcast? 
It helps us expand our audience by getting us more notice and keeps us going and growing. So please, folks, spread the word to family and friends. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the ride. <laughs>